0: Welcome, everybody, to hey. another phenomenal edition of Facebook Live q and I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I'm here with the voice of the community. Hello, everyone. What is up?
1: Not much. We have a lot of exciting things going on in the community right now.
0: Word. Yeah. So we Break have
1: two official Impact Theory events, one that's going to be in London, August 28th, which means so I'm going to be in London you're August be in 28th, London. which it's mm-hmm. important to
0: keep reminding myself of that. Yep, you'll be in that's London because you're going to
1: forget, but wow. we'll make sure he gets on the plane and he's over there and That'll he gets be to best. meet you guys. Thank you. Um, and then we have one August 16th in downtown LA, which you'll nice. also be at. Nice. Because I made sure to block it on your schedule. That is
0: phenomenal. I'm excited. Yay.
1: So... All The Impactivists in the LA area, Tom will be making a special appearance at this Impact Hour. Word. Um, and then we also launched our Impactivist Club, the first round That's of right. chapters. Right. Yes. So we've got London, Toronto, Chicago, and Seattle, people, and Berlin.
0: What exactly is the Impactivist so
1: Club? So the Impactivist Club is our for fans, by fans event series. Nice. Um, it's basically like our version of the mickey mouse club it's the official impact theory fan club um completely fan run but of course guided by our principals so there'll be check-ins we'll you know if you grow to a certain size you might be able to win the prize of having the impact theory team come visit and if you are even bigger than that or you host an event that just totally smashes Tom will show up. Um, So there are going to be lots of like special goodies that we'll be rolling out. Um, And these chapters will also, as they start to begin, we'll send them special like custom swag. Nice. Yeah. Respect. I'm very excited about this initiative. Stuff. Yeah. So it's in total beta mode. So it's going to be a lot of learnings, but I'm really excited about the people that we've found to... Hop on board.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Very cool. Exciting times.
1: Yeah. And then from the store aspect, we've got a special limited edition graphic tee. So just hop over to shop.impacttheory.com to check it out. All right. Yeah. I without it. further ado, we'll get to our questions. Let's
0: do it. <laughs> and if this feed is adding value to your life, please do share it Over on Instagram. We are about to hit 50k, which is Woo! amazing. Very excited about that. Okay, now, truly without further ado, question.: OK, today.
1: so this question actually came in through the Impact Theory League, so I had a question of the day, um, which was centered around what is something or someone you miss from your childhood? And one of our fans, Dean, he um, wanted to know, because he misses his uh, father and his dog. And so he wanted to know how to work through loss and grief. He says these losses are much harder to recover from than any failure. So what are kind of the actionable steps that he can put into practice?
0: Yeah, so I will be honest that this isn't something that I've thought a lot about. So I will start by pointing you in the direction of a lot of amazing work has been done around the topics of grief. Um, the thing that I would focus on and the thing that I've used in my own life is the predictability of the phases that you're going to go through. Um, so researching that, understanding it, knowing what they are, not trying to avoid them, but rather to process them in a meaningful way, I think is very much the right answer. And there's, you know, look, there's going to be individual variants on this stuff, but there really are some fascinatingly universal, um, moments in that emotional journey. So discovering what those are, being very aware of what they are, And just accepting that there's really no way and it's probably not even advisable to try to not go through them. Mm -hmm. So accepting that that loss really is crushing, that it's, as stated, way more difficult to deal with than a failure, which, I mean, in the grand scheme... Um, they almost don't seem like the same thing. You know what yeah. I mean? Like the, the level of intensity is so, so very different. Um, and the permanence, that's the hard part about loss. It's just like that. The permanence of it is very, very difficult to deal with. So yeah, I would say go um, leverage the knowledge that we have at this point about that very predictable cycle. And then the one thing that I've used that might be really helpful for everybody out there is the notion that this too shall pass. And the intensity of that emotion is going to dissipate over time. And focusing on things like what you are grateful for in their life, and not just that sense of loss, but what they brought to you, and being able to celebrate that, and um, remind yourself of the positive things is is nice. And then if there's somebody that's sharing in that loss with you, that can be wildly comforting. Um, to share that and then don't stifle your emotions. So that was something. And since he brought up the dog and that has been for better or worse, um, it was way harder for me to lose my dog than it was for me to even lose my grandparents. I know that's, that may be perceived as horrible, but hopefully people understand is just the level of closeness. So when my wife and I lost, you know, what we look at as our first child, um, I didn't expect it to be devastating and it was. And that was really, really surprising. And so having her there to be able to share that grief and go through that together was meaningful.
1: Yeah. And I also, just in terms of loss, like I feel like I, as an individual, haven't really dealt with a lot of loss in that like permanent kind of sense Mm -hmm. Um, because I didn't have pets growing up. Um, I had some fish, but like I never had like this emotional attachment to them. And I like bought them at a Target and didn't really expect them to live very long. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. And so I I think like one of the first times I think I was really confronted with this idea of loss was when I went to my grandfather's funeral. Mm. But the interesting thing about it is like some of the traditions around like grieving and loss in Nigerian culture are so f- focused in, um, on celebrating that it almost didn't feel like um he had died
0: is there like a a traditional funeral where you're there and actively bury the person or yeah
1: so like he was there i remember um seeing the the open casket and everything mm-hmm. but you know there was like a lot of music all of the the stories being told it was supposed to be like yes my i saw my grandmother crying and i saw you know my like all the sons like wearing a particular outfit and all of those things. But at the same time, they were so focused on the fact that he had grandchildren and great grandchildren that were there, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like look at all this family that's come to like celebrate his life and all the people telling the stories of, you know, the great things he'd done for like within his lifetime and Mm -hmm. the fact that he has a legacy to leave and all these things um, that for me, I, it like was really cool to see because it didn't feel sad. And maybe it was because I was so young too that I didn't register as super sad and I hadn't really known him that well, but um, it just, it made me feel honored to like know a man so well loved by so many people. So um, that's kind of how I think of loss a lot of times is I, I do come from a place of like gratitude and celebration and, all of that and you know i've since lost like other grandparents but at the same time like i know that it's about like the amazing things that they had done and not necessarily the focusing on the sadness for too long like you still process through those feelings but it's definitely more centered around gratitude
0: yeah we focus on
1: yeah it's true so hopefully that helps dean um our next question comes from Jamil through the Connect Inbox. How can I build a solid, clear, and actionable vision?
0: Okay, well, uh, that really starts with asking and answering the question, what is my end goal? So how do we get to that? How do we decide what our end goal is going to be? First of all, we need to understand that it's a decision and not something that you're going to turn inward and see this big secret thing that's been hiding within you somehow forever and you just never noticed. So you look inward, you find an area of interest. Then through the process of gaining mastery, you're going to find out whether that area of interest is something that you get into so much that you're going to be willing to continue to push, to develop grit, to keep going long after it gets boring and hard Whether that's going to be one of those things that you really want to develop into something. And I think exposure to a lot of different things is really, really critical. Maybe even critical just to developing the little flickers of interest. And that encountering a wide array of things is... Is really, really important. So if you turn inward and literally see like virtually nothing, then exposure becomes your number one thing that you have to overcome. And so just getting out there, encountering ideas, encountering new things, and it may be as simple as, um, you know, what are things that you see out in the world that people are deeply passionate about? So if that's an activity, hiking, Skiing, like whatever the case may be, or if it's reading, like what are tried and true things? What have have humans been doing for a thousand years? You know, things like that. Reading storytelling, like on and on, Um, physical exercise, sports, and getting into it, touching a lot of it, not sort of dipping into one thing. Like if you were to do, say, kite surfing and go, well, I don't like athletics right? That's such a like specific thing. Mm-hmm. So trying a bunch of different things to find out what that thing is that, that piques your curiosity, that interest, reading what are other people passionate about, and then going in and seeing like if you're interested in that, um, I think that exposure is probably the most critical thing. And then once you find some things that really do uh, have some level of interest to you, then it, it's, you know, going back to that process of mastery. But that's ultimately, you're trying to do all of that because you need a hyper specific goal. So, and I find that that the hyper specificity of the goal is where people fall down because they never push themselves to get beyond an outcome. So it's Mm -hmm. always like, let's take a really easy, obvious one. I want to be rich. Great. And I used to say that, and I can tell you from firsthand experience how dangerous that is in its vagaries. Mm -hmm. Because now I'm still on a path to generating more wealth in my life, but I realize that. A, it has to be in a hyper-specific way. And B, that hyper-specific way needs to be driven by a mission. It needs to be driven by something that's bigger than you, that you're more excited about. I can't remember if yesterday was the first time I ever said to the whole team here that I actually don't care enough about filmmaking, storytelling, any of that, to work as hard as I'm working. But A, I love it. I just don't love it enough mm-hmm. to do what it's going to take to get across the finish line. But I care like so much about pulling people out of the matrix. I get such a natural like chemical rush and I care about it just from an ideological standpoint to help people get out of a limiting mindset. Like that is so interesting to me that building a studio is like small potatoes compared to how much I really give a shit about that. So once you know like that level of what is it that really turns me on, what is it that really gets me excited, what do I respond to, what have I fanned the flames on to really like get what you focus on, right? So I focused on for years and years and years like wanting to help people, wanting to pull them out of the matrix and then working backwards to the studio through what do I think is actually the most efficient way to do that. So when you have that level of specificity, then you can start unwinding like what are the steps that it's going to take to get to that. But the vision... The vision is really, in my opinion, the specific steps that it takes to accurately reach your goal. So, And there's admittedly some what I'll call business acumen, even though the thing you may want to be great at may not have anything to do with business, but that ability to to deconstruct into very executable steps, um, to me, is sort of the business mindset. But that's what people ultimately need to do. So the vision isn't just the sort of end goal of this is what I want to do. It's all of the, the steps that lead up to it.
1: Um, and just like uh, Matt Davis wrote in about um, being a linchpin employee. Would you tackle, tackle that um, set of skills in the same way? So he right now he works in K-12 through private schools. He's um, learning to do business analysis, um, the skill set he says that he doesn't think the company he works for currently doesn't need um, he's like in IT tech service um, and sorry I'm trying to paraphrase it so he wants to know if there's a roadmap map from the skilled employee to a linchpin and from those um, who have a why what really makes the difference when you need to buckle down
0: Okay, so those feel like two very different questions. So let's start with the linchpin. Um, Being a linchpin employee really is about... an attitude, I would say, even more than a skill set. Now, the skill set becomes important and you've got to do exactly what we're just talking about, identify what are you really trying to do for the company. And I'll say in a company, rather than sort of that grand vision, um, oftentimes it's what is the very specific problem in the business that needs to be solved? Our marketing isn't good enough. Um, We have a cultural problem, like whatever that is. A linchpin employee to me is somebody that looks beyond the definition of their job and into what does the company actually need, and then they make sure that they are able to address that. Now, I think that obviously you're hired in the company to do something, so you need to be taking care of that very specific role as well. So I talk about your job description is your tuition. That's the way that you get in. That's the way that you um, are You know, literally like a university. You're paying your tuition, but really at the end of the day, you're there to do something and learn something bigger than that. Anybody that owns a company... And this sadly is not true of all managers, but anybody that owns a company, they're so hungry for the right answer because so much is on the line for them that if you can solve problems in the business, they're going to be responsive to that. So identifying what the, what the problems are that face the business, making sure that there's sort of political will behind those problems because not every problem is going to have that political will, especially not up and down the chain. So identifying one where it is a real problem for the business and the business has already acknowledged we want to solve this problem. You take care of your tuition by doing your job well and then you begin to address those. So there may be a skill set in there that you don't necessarily already have, but the problem demands that you develop that skill set. Uh, I would get as much buy in as you can, letting people know, like, hey, I'm like, I would actually communicate to people. I am now, and and a simple way is to say, hey, uh, either I read Seth Godin's book or I heard Tom talking about this notion of being a linchpin. I want to be a linchpin. I really want to take my career really seriously. And by that, I mean that internally, it gives me a sense of progress. It gives me a yeah. sense that I'm able to push myself and accomplish things that other people aren't willing to do to really maximize my human potential. So, Hey, everybody that'll listen, that's what I'm doing. And I'm going to be clicking over into that. And so because of that, I'd really love to get some feedback. What are things that we want to accomplish? What are problems that we're trying to solve? And then say, I'm going to take this one. And then I'd love feedback on my execution of that and and really just make it known. So uh, I forget what company it was, but the CFO um, that was at Quest when I was there um, He said at the company that he worked for previous top, I think it was a a Fortune 50 company to be sure. Um, He said that they actually make you identify what track you're on in the company. And there were, um, I think, three different tracks. So, And these are certainly the tracks that I have in my mind. I think all three were present at this company. But it's essentially a linchpin, though I think it went under a different name. Uh, A linchpin employee, which if you're a linchpin, you're in what they call up or out. So you either move up in the company and you're always progressing, mm-hmm. or you get out, or um, oh maybe he only had two. The other one was a continuity player. So you have your people that are on the upper out track, and then you have people that are continuity players. Mm-hmm. and continuity meant, eh, you're going to get sort of your, your two to five like percent year-over-year like raise, yeah. exactly. but you may never move in your actual role. So your mm-hmm. title is sort of what it was the, the day that you got in and, and then that's it. Um, and, and, it was fascinating to me that they actually make people choose and say I'm either up or out or I'm a continuity player and that the expectations of you became very, very different. So communicating that to people and letting them know whether your company has those tracks or not, but letting people know how they should be thinking of you, how they should turn to you, um, it just helped, really helps people understand you and what you're trying to do in the company. So right. um, that's that's linchpin. The other part was, remind me.
1: Uh, it was... Just kind of like, what would the roadmap be from going from a skilled employee to a linchpin? Um, what skills would help push you over the line? Or is it just simply an attitude? There was a second and part then there to it, was, it that... um, So, if, you know, if you have your why... Uh, your why,
0: yeah, yeah. If you have your why, what?
1: That we are wanting... To... It's like, how do you know... How do we buckle down... How do we buckle
0: down and pursue the why? Yeah. Um, uh, So this is one of those questions that if you're asking that question, you probably don't have the right why, right? It doesn't light you on fire. And so this comes down to the notion of a compelling future. How excited are you? Like when I'm fatigued, I need only think about what I'm actually doing, which is right now there's some person, man, woman, child. To me, it's somewhat irrelevant who feels lost. They feel they could do more. Their life could be more. And I really believe that if I can get my message to them, that the not only will their life be better, but that there's a shot that they end up becoming somebody who really influences the fabric of our culture. And so that to me is very interesting, that I can not only make their life better, but that I can make the world a better place by helping people get rid of the limiting beliefs and then realize that they can do something extraordinary. That is so interesting to me. Like you don't have to convince me that it's interesting. It just is Interesting to me to think that humans can have that kind of impact and that it is a, a switch that you have to flip. So, oh my God, I forget who said this. I think it was Naveen Jane. It was Naveen Jane. Um, and he said, Don't worry about leading a horse to water, just worry about making them thirsty. I want to make people thirsty. I want people like to just be insanely excited for what they're trying to accomplish in their life. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not then chances are that thing that you're trying to do that you've decided is your mission, it may not be exciting enough for you. So mm-hmm. that's the, the real thing is start with an area of interest. Go down the path of gaining mastery and fan those flames. So it wasn't like, oh, the day that I encountered Rashan, which was my first sort of glimpse into getting someone out of the matrix. When I first started uh, mentoring Rashan, it... It didn't seem like, oh, this will become something really important to me. And then when that had uh, run its course, I could feel like I've been changed by this, but it still wasn't like a mission right. in my life. So it wasn't until like a bunch of things begin to stack up, which I'll, I'll call the path to mastery in that, though it was very unintentional at first. Um, but then one day I decided this is gonna be my thing. And then once you decide, then it's like you really right. fan those flames, you focus on it, um, you encourage that in yourself, you reward yourself emotionally for being true to that, and then like it, it begins to take on a life of its own because you give yourself so much positive reinforcement for doing that thing. But at the end of the day, it starts with a decision.
1: Absolutely, wow. So this next question comes from Daniel Breeze in the comments. So, Tom, I found it really interesting that you don't consider yourself highly neurotic considering the morning routine you have and how much structured discipline you have in your life. Can you talk about the statement you once made that the beauty of having your brain is everything seems like a surprise?
0: I don't remember ever saying I that, so I can't comment that on that. Um, but Sorry. I will say that I've been waiting for somebody to call me out on that because my behavior would make you think that I, especially with the routine, would make you think that I'm neurotic. But in truth, I'm goal-oriented. And understanding what I mean when I say that I'm goal-oriented is probably the most important thing to understand about me if you want to have a relationship with me. Because all of my behavior will seem very weird and certainly counterintuitive to um, things that are sort of naturally in my personality. But once you understand that, to me, achieving your goals is like, the purpose of life, and that at the end of the day, I do and believe that which my goals demand of me. So, Mm -hmm. because I'm lazy by nature, I have realized that I need to do something to get over that. Um, Identity is a huge part of that, huge part of that, but on a day-to-day basis. I need like momentum to carry me away. So my habits are essentially the, this is interesting, I'm realizing this in real time. The way that people use email, I use habits. I use routine is probably a better way to say that. So um, the reason people like email is you don't have to think. So open your email box and react. That's it. So for me, it's the same thing. All I have to do to start this wildly empowering routine to make sure that i'm doing the right things at all times is go to bed at 9 p.m everything else happens automatically so i go to bed at 9 p.m i do not have an alarm set i wake up when i wake up no one has to tell me to wake up right so i'm gonna wake up when i wake up and then like last night i have um rules and those rules begin to trigger so i woke up just before 1 (laughs) a.m i'm sorry what so, I literally, I was... I, like, and, the and other I had,
1: night, I went to bed at like 1. and so
0: I, like. The funny thing is I thought of that. I was like, so many people right now are just going to bed. <laughs> I woke up at 1 a.m., but I have a rule. If I've gotten less than five hours sleep, I will lay in bed forever trying to fall back asleep mm-hmm. because I will not function at a high cognitive level right. if I don't. And op- operating at the highest cognitive level possible is a good idea. So... Um, I knew if I, if I get up and start doing all my normal stuff, like I'll get through it, but I won't get through it as well. So cognitive optimization, for the most part, doesn't always trump. Like if I had some huge goal or something that was really important, I would just muscle through a bad cognitive day to get things across the finish line. Mm-hmm. But this was not one of those days. So it's one o'clock. I realize I'm going to really try to fall back asleep. Probably takes me an hour, maybe an hour and a half, but I do fall back asleep. Uh, I wake up again just before 5 a.m. And I'm like, now I've gotten more than five hours sleep. So it's I have 10 minutes to get out of bed. So I immediately get out of bed. I go straight to working out. Boom. And all the rest of the day is like somebody going into email. All I have to do is react to the routine and the set of rules that I have. So I don't have to think about anything. There's no cognitive load. It's just, right, you go work out, meditate, itate, read, important things. Like that's it. And then I'm just in that loop. Yeah. So that is why I say I'm, I'm a lone neurotic, which is actually why I have to have those things because if I didn't, right. I, there's nothing internal that would tell me, oh, do this, oh, do that, oh, yeah. do this. So,
1: so yeah, I feel very similarly. Um, yeah. So hopefully that answers your question, Daniel. <laughs> and we have a couple shoutouts shout outs coming in from Layla from Wisconsin, Libby from Taiwan and Akilah from California. Yeah, it's that global audience, man. Indeed
0: it is. I mean, our
1: first impactivist clubs, three out of the five of them are international.
0: That's awesome. Which is
1: really, really cool. I love that. Yeah, so I'm communicating across five time zones.
0: (laughs) Good luck with that. That's not easy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. All right, so this next question comes from Kathy Teresa. She um, mentions that the Jay Williams episode, you say, virtually nobody talks about how they feel. Any ideas on why we are like this and is there anything we can do to change it?
0: Yeah, it uh, it makes you vulnerable. So when you're telling people how you really feel, if somebody says, oh, well, that's bad or stupid, then people believe then that they actually are bad or stupid. And so people spend a lot of time, a lot of time. Framing themselves, trying to convince themselves, quite frankly, and other people that they are a certain way, rather than saying, "I can change at any time." So, if I do something and somebody says, "Oh, that's bad or stupid," you can reflect and go, "Is it really? Oh my gosh, actually, it is. This is Mm -hmm. bad, meaning it doesn't move me towards my goals. Stupid, meaning it doesn't move me towards my goals, in my opinion." So you reassess and you go, "Okay, cool. I'm going to change my behavior." And since I don't pride myself on not, I don't pride myself on being smart. Uh, I don't pride myself on always doing the right thing. I pride myself on learning, and I pride myself on recognizing faster than anybody else when I actually am doing something that doesn't make sense. So if somebody points it out, rather than sit there and beat myself up because I don't believe that I'm ever in a permanent state, right? So any accusation somebody throws at me, like I can change that. So if I self-assess and realize they're actually right... Then I can just change and go in a new direction. But when people don't believe that, they don't believe that they can change, or they're really worried. Like they're they're a, a perceiver. So they're always like, whatever you think about me, then that's what I actually perceive but, yeah. of myself. Rather than like one of the things that I've worked really, really hard on is I have a vision of who I am that is my compass. And it other people don't get to influence that. So I run against anything anybody says to me, I run against what I'm actually trying to accomplish. And so if they point out a hole in my game, then I change it, but my compass is my willingness to change. So that's the, the what you build your self-esteem around becomes the just really, really critical part. So people don't want to say anything because they have, they're on a scale or a spectrum of, of a fixed mindset and they worry that if they confess that and they get something reflected back that they don't like, that is now a permanent state of who they are. So um, one, learning to divorce yourself from what other people think, like taking it in and listening as a potential guidepost, but not letting other people's view of you change your view of you, which is really hard to do, yeah. but really important to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I completely agree. I feel like, yeah, I was actually having a conversation like that with my sister recently, Um, just like centered around... Confidence, building confidence, because um, she's always thought of me as the more confident one. And I was trying to figure out at what point in time in the timeline of my life did that become true. Because I would consider myself as pretty confident, but I think it's because there's something in me that always knows like who I am and like what my decisions. like I guide by my gut and how mm. it feels and figure out what that actually means. Um, and so like when confronted with like, similar to what you're saying, when confronted with something that doesn't necessarily sit well, I'm like, okay, so what is, so why am I reacting to that? And like, what does that mean? And is this person saying it out of like maliciousness or is it actually a critique? And I think having worked a lot in creative spaces, you learn to take feedback because it's not personal. It's you're creating something. The purpose of it is to do this does it do that just because your creative interpretation of it doesn't necessarily you know move anyone towards that then that means it failed right and so what are the things you need to do do to change it like copywriting you've got to figure out how to choose the right words you know you know, if you're you know and i do a lot of copywriting for you like trying to figure out how would Tom say this and what makes sense? And so, you know, when you give me feedback where it's like, this isn't what I would say, like you change it and tweak it, I learn from that. Mm. And so it doesn't mean that I'm a bad writer. Um, And that's something I think that is really important to distinguish is trying to figure out when to take that feedback and how.
0: Word. Tools, Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy to start run, and grow a business. Shopify powers more than 10% of all U.S. e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly use Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com impact, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com impact right now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com impact. Has it. And with eBay guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Absolutely. All right. So this one comes from Jiao Damasco. I don't know. It's I'm sorry. I might have... Jiao Damasco
0: seems reasonable.
1: Yeah. uh How to... How to keep your company thriving while there's a national financial crisis going on? Um, I know this question sounds kind of broad, but I'd appreciate if you could share some thoughts on that. Cheers from Brazil. That's That could give you content. That helps, yeah, <laughs> knowing
0: that it's Brazil. That's really, really interesting. But um, I will say that the answer, regardless of country, uh, there's an amazing example from our boy Walt Disney. If you haven't read his biography, it will inspire the living daylights out of you. Um, And if you don't want to read his book, but you want to get a flavor, you can always watch my book review um, on it. And the answer to your question, I go hard in that book review about, because what Disney did in times of trouble, always and forever was the same thing. And he doubled, tripled, quintupled down on the product. The product, the product, Mm -hmm. the product. And he just made sure that at all times, It was the best in the industry, that there was nothing better than him, that any of his competitors in animation, if they were trying to outmaneuver him some way or behind the scenes trying to ruin him, that he was just an undeniable force when it came to the final product. And I think at the end of the day, that is so important. And you can put all the time and energy and effort you want into being a slick business person. But dude, if you've missed the first and foremost, like the Marcus Aurelius first principles, make sure that your product is astounding. Make sure it dazzles. Make sure it is undeniably amazing. So when I think about all the content that we do, it's like all I'm thinking about, does it actually pull people out of the matrix or not? And if it does and it pulls more people more effectively than anything anyone else is doing, great, then we're in the right place. But in times of trouble, this company will always double down on making the product better. Period. So doesn't matter what's going on in the world. You have to take that seriously from the perspective of the market is speaking. Like in those times of trouble, there may be different things that they consider valuable than at other times. And you need to be very realistic about that. Um, so yeah, don't overinvest in a path, but really, really invest in a product that gets a result.
1: That's it. And as a reminder, everyone, if this feed is adding value to your life, please be sure to share it. And then also remember that we just launched a limited edition Graphic Tea on our store. So check that out. Um, I believe the link is in the comments. So check it out. Nice. All right. So this next question comes from Stacey Lee. Tom, how do you handle uncertainties? Up until now, I've always had a stable job with Stable Income. A few months ago, I was laid off. I have been unsuccessful with finding a job no matter how hard I work on applying and reaching out to my friends and networks. I'm not someone that makes excuses. It's just been really hard lately and I feel very unmotivated as it's been months of no results. I'm starting to feel useless and hopeless. What other actions can I take?
0: This is awesome. What a vulnerable question. I am so grateful for this. Um, You already know the answer. And it's gonna be, uh, it's my honor to be able to give you that answer. She already knows it. So, and the truth is, if you're not getting the result that you want, you're not doing the right things, period. So, I know you know that because you don't make excuses, which is phenomenal, and that's gonna serve you well. And this is the moment that you've been waiting for. All the years that you've spent building a mindset that does not make excuses, it was for this moment. So, It is clearly hard, it's harder than you expected, you thought the techniques that you had developed were going to work, and they have not. And what that tells me is that definitively you need a new strategy, and you need to put all of your energy into identifying what's the strategy right now today that's going to work, and getting out there, going online, finding what people are talking about, things that can work, that are working for people. I'll use an example, so we interviewed Lewis Howes yesterday. He's gonna, his episode doesn't launch for like a month and a half or something. Um, But his story is really, really fascinating. So here's this guy, uh, he's broke, broken, on his sister's couch, does not know how to get a job, starts researching like ways to network, comes across this thing called LinkedIn, which was pretty new when he was doing it, becomes a master of LinkedIn, right? But it's it's a totally new skill set for him. It is not what he thought he was going to have to do. Mm-hmm. But it was the thing that he, in all of the different things that he was trying, that was the one that popped. And there is a solution to this problem. There is, I promise you. So you have to find that solution. So I get it, all the things that you thought were going to work failed you. And that is, that really sucks. And that's a really hard place to be in. And I'll just, uh, I'll put us in the mix. It is so very real that, all the things we think are going to work right now to build the studio, virtually all of them will fail. Okay. I know that I know going into it, right? I am not yet the man I need to be in order to build the studio. I know that. So in all of this, you're constantly like pushing everything as hard as you can with who you are now and seeing where does it all start to break and crumble. Mm -hmm. And then you just address those things one by one. So I, obviously not auditing her situation. I cannot tell you what specific thing it is. I don't know if she's currently not good enough at interviewing. I don't know if her skill set isn't right. I don't know if on paper yeah. she doesn't look good. Like this may be a question of you need to be donating your time to update your skill set. It might be that. It might be that your references are weak. It might be that the reference at your old job is bad and you don't realize. And so now every time you're putting yourself out there and they call to the check on references, they're actually getting a bad answer. There's so many awesome stories yeah. of people doing things like, I'll give you one example, like really getting extreme to get a job. Oh, God, watch the episode with um, Jay Samet. Jay Samet. Amazing his is example. His is third
1: uh, print, by the way. They did Disrupt a third print. Disrupt You. Yep.
0: Well deserved. Read his book. He talks about the lengths that he went to get a job when he just couldn't get one. And it was bad economic times and he didn't know what to do. His story of going to the like ends to get a job are, are pretty spectacular. So in fact, I won't uh, bastardize it by trying to paraphrase it. Go watch that episode uh, or read his book. Either one, we talk about it in the episode and he goes into great detail in the book. But is a perfect example of Truly, truly, not making excuses, going all the way to, in essence, creating a fake company in order to um, get a job, and oh, it, yeah, it's an amazing story. Watch it, watch it, watch it.
1: Right, and I mean, part of it is just being able to like humble yourself or like figure out where those gaps are. Because for me, when I was job hunting, um, when I was still in like the New York area. I thought my resume was good, like, for what it was doing. I was trying to, you know, enter into the marketing space, like, this is great. But it wasn't until I actually sat down with someone who would be essentially receiving my resume on the other end. And we broke it down line by line. So, like, the fact is she was able to donate her time over some coffee to just, you know, work with me because I was like, I want to be in this space i don't understand why i still have it um and i keep getting all these other jobs and i i have all the different skills that it says that i need to have and you know it was just asking just being like open to really brutal feedback like the whole thing was marked up in red i was like so grateful because after that i started getting like you know jobs and more people calling me back and all that kind of stuff and i was just like it was something that simple. And it, it might not be that for you, but there could be something else that's missing that you need to reevaluate.
0: Are you ready for, don't let me forget, by the way, because she said yeah. that she's emotionally um, distressed as well. We need mm-hmm. to address that. Yes. Um, my dad went through a really hard time where he could not get a job. And he began to suspect that it was age discrimination. So he dyed his hair and got a job. And I thought, respect. Like, if, if that's what you need to do to manage the impression that you're making, then do it. And, like, you do what it takes, right? You, yeah. you make changes and you adjust. And look, you can say all day long, that's disgusting, he shouldn't have to do that, and you're right. But the fact is, he did, and it worked. And that, to me, efficacy is all that matters. If that's what it requires, you're dealing with humans. Humans are fucking weird, and they have like all these preconceived notions and all yeah. this stuff. But it's like, once you stop fighting like it shouldn't be this way, and you accept, but it but is. But it is, and
1: this is what I got to do.
0: 100%. Yeah. Deal with the world the way that it is, not the way you wish it would be. Okay? One more time. Deal with the world the way that it is, not the way that you wish it would be. All right. Now to the emotional side. Yes as somebody who doesn't make excuses, you've gotta cut that shit out with haste. Like, it will not serve you, and because it will not serve you, you cannot allow yourself to do it. Now, I'm giving you a peek inside my mind, so I get everything I'm about to say is gonna sound harsh. Just understand, A, reminder, I am so grateful for the very vulnerable question. That, to me, is a sign of courage and is amazing. Now, this is how I internalize this stuff. Will getting down help me get a job? The answer is unequivocally no. Absolutely not. I'm going to need a lot of energy. I'm going to need a shit ton of optimism. And optimism, my friends, is a choice. So I'm going to choose to be optimistic. The definition of success is going from failure to failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. So I know to get where I'm going, I'm going to have to remain making the decision to be optimistic that it's going to work out every time, no matter how many times I get rejected and failed, no matter how many new skills I have to go through, the back-breaking work of making my own, I'm going to stay optimistic. I'm going to stay upbeat. I'm going to stay positive because I know at the end of the day on a really long timeline, a really long, grueling, brutal test, those are the people that end up winning and coming out the other side. It is, it's never the person that gives up. It's never, it's never the person that gives up ever, never once. So we know that simply surviving the process is like the number one. So you need that energy, enthusiasm, positivity to get through. And if you really want to almost startle the people in your life and startle them in a way that will so inspire them and so rock them to their core during this process, always look at the positive. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't take an hour to just cry your fucking eyes out yeah. and, like, need to release it. Totally get that. that. But you, I would, literally, give myself a period of time. If that's an hour, I have an hour. And I would go through whatever motion I need to. And on the other side of that, I would immediately, again, do the things that I need to do that I know are going to be efficient, that are actually going to work. So... You've got to get rid of that mindset immediately, fake laugh out loud, read books on neuroanatomy, like whatever you need to do to get yourself back in a positive and optimistic state. But that is a must. That is a must. Remember, don't ever ask for sympathy. Expect empathy. You should be able to expect empathy from the important people in your life. And hopefully they're giving it to you in spades. But don't ever ask for sympathy. And then, as my boy Stephen Hawking says, when you complain, no one wants to help you. So my rule of thumb, if Stephen Hawking doesn't complain about anything, I'm not going to complain about anything.
1: That's pretty valid. That is. Agreed. All right, this next question comes from Layla Libseller. Currently working on my PhD, which I love, but found after finishing my master's thesis that I need activities that do something rather than focusing on theoretical. Over the summer, I have started a couple of side projects that are really interesting, but I need new skills to make them great. What advice do you have, uh, do you have for pulling, for, um, ha- have you had for being pulled in different directions by goals and projects from which you have a lot of passion? So side projects, super passionate about, PhD also passionate about, but needs to be doing more things.
0: Yeah. So the doing more things, I'm going to set aside for a second because the I think the more interesting question in here is how do you not fall prey to having a bunch of interests? So I will. Um, I I hope people love this about me, but this is definitely something that walks up to being a dick and my personality. And that is if I've done something, I have absolutely no fucking sympathy for somebody that can't do the same thing. So for almost 15 years, I essentially turned off the part of my brain that watches movies, TV shows, reads books. Uh, I've averaged one book of fiction a year for the last, it's got to be close to 15 years. So, And I love fiction more than I can say. Like reading a book, every time I do it, I feel the same way that I feel when I'm eating um, really, really bad food, like delicious food but bad mm-hmm. food. And a part of me goes every time, what if you just admit you're only going to live for 10 more years and you eat whatever you want <laughs> and you like literally just live in a perpetual state of intoxication and eating bad food. Like just just own it. It's going to kill you no question, but it's going to be really rad. Then I turn that off and I remind myself of my identity and what I'm trying to accomplish and all that stuff. But there is a high degree of temptation just to give in and say, whatever. So I have that same feeling when I read a fiction book that I just want to indulge. I want to do that. And then I remember I have decided my mission is X Mm -hmm. and I work backwards from there. Everything has to live in service of that. And it has been so exciting. I almost tweeted out this morning and I had too much other shit to do, so I stopped, but I almost tweeted out this morning, I am so excited. There are two days of the week that I love more than anything in the world, Fridays and Mondays, because now that I realize it actually serves my goal for me to look more at fiction and really get into pop culture and things... Mm It's like a homecoming for me. I'm like so giddy. So the thought of like 100%. My wife and I are going to watch so many episodes of The Walking Dead this weekend. It's going to be amazing. And all the while, I'll have this congruent feeling with I know that I'm moving towards my goals. So that's very exciting. I can't even begin to tell you. But I didn't do it for a very long time because I live in service of my goals. So don't ever make up bullshit excuses about, oh, I have so many passions. So do I. But at the end of the day, like, you're only going to be effective at actually achieving. I'm making an assumption, and that assumption is you want to play in a world stage. I am not the right person to pay attention to. If you have no interest in being the greatest of all time, I can't serve you. So if you want to play in a world stage, if you're prepared to say to yourself you want to be the greatest of all time, let me tell you right now, you're going to have to shut the doors. You walk into a room. There are 900. There's 1,000 doors. Let's be consistent. You walk into a room. There are 1,000 doors. Your job is to shut 999 of them. And walk through one. You can always walk back at any time you want. Shut that door and open a new one. That's absolutely fine. But your job is to shut the other doors. And I will make the assumption that some massive percentage of those doors are deep and abiding passions for you. So let's just make it nice and hard. And you're going to decide which one that you walk through based on what you want to achieve in your life. Simple as. That
1: makes sense. But what if... The particular side projects that she's trying to gain skills in Mm -hmm. are essentially like her version of a release. So like, let's say meditation Mm -hmm. for a lot of people. It helps calm them, bring their stress down, whatever, refocus on what they need to do. For some people, that's painting. Mm -hmm. So what if she's finding that she's getting a lot of enjoyment out of that and like that becomes her meditation? So now she has these two things that she's clearly passionate about. Um, how would you address it then
0: that is an awesome question and hiding in the question is the answer. So here's how I would look at it. If you need to meditate in order to achieve whatever your mission is, Mm -hmm. then you meditate exactly as much as you need to, to be more efficient at accomplishing your goals. If you can make your form of meditation something that you also love, that's so that's awesome. That's awesome. Right, so like me, my passion is filmmaking, storytelling, fiction, all of that. And I can recognize now that that is lined up with my goals. So once it's in line with your goal, do it. And by the way, the biggest goal in your life should be something that you love beyond measure. Like I, every day, I love what we're doing. Now that does not mean in the micro there aren't things that I absolutely despise. Contracts are a pain in my ass, and right now I'm going through a contract that uh, it is so (laughs) dull and uninteresting. I can't, and like this is becoming almost comical now. Do you know what percentage of my time is spent on contracts? It's
1: mostly your morning time. Like I saw before this, I was like, "This motherfucker better actually be reading those contracts." Yeah, because it's like every day there's like a new one that I feel like you need to read.
0: It it, it, it's getting (laughs) like laugh or cry funny now, where (laughs) I'll finish, like the other day I finished two. I was so proud of myself. And then Amanda was like, "Uh, we just had another one come in. And I was like, is this real life? Well, Uh,
1: we're trying to do stuff.
0: (laughs) Truth. And that's the thing. It is important. And that's why that we have to do them. But, so yeah. Anyway, you have to do the things that line up with your goals, whether they are painful, whether they are fun. But your main thing should be something that you would love doing even Mm -hmm. if you were failing. I would love pulling people out of the matrix, even if I've, I fail miserably. Like the process of trying to get good at that is so meaningful to me and so exciting and I get giddy at some of the skills that I need to do it. So it's like, it's not like a painful thing. That should be like just amazing. So you should be, when you have to give up one of your other passions is because it's like, God, do I have so yeah. much fun doing this or so much fun doing that? It's not like, well, this is going to be tedious, but it's somehow more important. No, like your mission the right. thing you decide is your mission should be something that sets you on fire and makes you feel alive.
1: Right, and I also wanna go back to the fact that for you, those things eventually aligned. So you might be giving it up for now and you never know when it's gonna come in handy later down the line.
0: And by the way, so let's talk about fiction. The thing that I love so much, oh my God, mm-hmm. Beyond Measure. I tried to read fiction. I- I actually didn't have any intention of giving it up. But every time when I wasn't on vacation, every time when I wasn't on vacation, I would pick up a fiction book, a, a voice in my head would scream one, because remember, I love reading nonfiction. I love it. So it was screaming in my head. You could go love reading nonfiction right now, and it would move you forward. Whereas the other one, you would love doing it, but it wouldn't move you forward. And that's how I'm always looking at things, is it it isn't me choosing between something heinous that I'm, because remember, I did for, depending on sort of what part of the story I want people to focus on, either six or eight and a half years, at the the six year mark, I realized I was not willing to do it without a finite hard stop, but it ended up taking eight and a half years. But at the at year six of chasing money, I realized I'm never doing this again. And so that was the last time in my life where I didn't make the demand that I made a living doing something that also made me feel alive. So simply slip that demand in. And now you're not choosing between something that isn't fun and something that is fun. You're choosing between something that you love and something else that you love. And when it's now, like this, but this thing drains me at like whatever, the hour yeah. 60 mark for my week. Well, then awesome to keep doing it and feel alive and be passionate and attack it as hard as you need to, then go do that other thing. If it's painting, hiking, that's awesome. It's actually serving your yeah. goals. You know that about yourself. You've looked inwards, you see the truth of it and do it 100%. That's like vacation. Here's the thing. I work a stupid number of hours every week. That is because I'm having a fucking blast doing what I'm doing, my goals are really important to me. And so it fills me with a sense of fulfillment to be doing it. But because I play as hard as I play, I don't like when I want to take a vacation, I take a vacation. Like I don't, there isn't even a flicker of guilt. And if I have a flicker of guilt, it's because I know that I haven't done all the things that I want for my own sake to do on the other side.
1: That's fair. All right. Hopefully that helps out Layla. All right, so this next one comes from Adam uh, Diogardi. What separates the doers from the do-nots, those stuck in their limiting beliefs and the matrix and those who are free, trying to gain leverage on myself to, fi- uh, to push through being comfortable and get free?
0: Yeah, I mean, this, this comes down to identity. It comes down to what people decide they want. It comes down to the demands that people are willing to make of themselves. And it comes down to like... Like, what do you want to be true in your life? So what I mean by that, and I I mentioned this earlier. So I think it is a completely valid life choice to be morbidly obese, to eat whatever you want and to accept this is gonna limit my lifespan, but I make that choice consciously and, and I'm gonna do that. I think that's completely valid. The choice that doesn't make any sense to me is the one where you're morbidly obese, you feel guilty when you eat food, you don't feel good on a daily basis, um, you have aches and pains and all of that, you want to live a longer, healthier lifespan, and you know that the food is causing you a problem. It's You can even articulate this is like a drug addiction, but you don't do anything to solve the problem. That is fucking maddening to me. That drives me nuts in a way that I cannot tell you, but I'm not judging them for the state of their body. I'm saying you have a goal and you're living Incongruently to that goal, like that's madness. Mm-hmm. And so, when your own life doesn't bring you fulfillment and happiness, it's, uh, like what are you doing? It's one thing when you're lost and like you don't understand. It's another when you can fucking articulate. I'm doing all of this to myself. I'm doing it to myself in this way, and yet I recognize what I'm struggling with is an addiction, and I choose to do nothing about it. That winds me up. So that, like, if if what you want for your life is a stress free life. That is perfectly valid. Don't, don't force yourself to like push and pursue and strive. Like know that to be in alignment with what I want for my life, I need a stress-free life. Fantastic. Don't chase money. Let's start there. Bring your like universe, cut it down to the quick Don't have children because that is a a super high demand in your time and nature is going to make sure that you feel just like this absolute compulsion to care for them, to do for them, to build an amazing life for them. So there are just certain choices that I would say if what you want is a stress-free life that you shouldn't do, but that's an absolutely valid choice. So people have to decide what they want. I have no interest in a stress-free life. What I have an interest in is playing on a world stage. All the things I've already talked about. So I live in accordance with that. And it brings me a tremendous amount of fulfillment, excitement. My life is very exciting to me. My future is very compelling to me. So you just need to really figure out what you want your life to be like and then act in accordance with it. Without judgment, by the way.
1: Keyword, without judgment. Correct. All right. So this last question, I guess, because we're coming up on the hour. Um, Comes from Shahani. I'm combining my passion for baking and my compassion for others by starting a dessert subscription box. Advice on getting it out there to influencers and organizations around mental health and suicide awareness. I know you are into mindset and would love your thoughts on the idea.
0: Oh, God. I'm not going to give her an answer she likes. So I was so with her. Can we pretend she didn't say mental health? So here's sure. the, here's the problem. Food is probably the thing most, uh, I'm going to set aside that something that you have like a neurological disorder in your genetics. That's very scannable. And we can see, Hey, based on this, almost all of mental illness is epigenetic, meaning that it's a reaction to your environment. Now, the biggest influencer on your environment is what you eat. So, man, if you had said anything, because a bowl of ice cream brings people joy. Awesome desserts are rad. I am so glad they exist. If anyone ever tried to legislate them out of my life, I would be pissed. I believe people should be in, they should get to decide what they eat. Now, here's the bad news. I think that there is a tremendous influence on high sugar foods, which are traditional in desserts. Um, and it's disruption of the microbiome. Disrupting the microbiome disrupts the production of serotonin. Serotonin plays massively, certainly, into depression, probably anxiety as well. So now you're disrupting neurotransmitters with desserts. So I, I feel bad because it is only because she said mental health that I'm like, I don't know that you want to push dessert specifically if what you're really worried about is mental health. So that's my answer for getting it out there to mental health probably a bad idea now getting it out there to help cheer people up they've had a bad day they want like that surprise dessert which i think is awesome and totally valid and wonderful uh that is identifying influencers who people listen to for that thing so getting out there to foodies getting out there to people that have a voice in that community where people want to create all this amazing stuff and and so they have a voice in that community Now, this is where it comes in. Having an amazing product is critical. Your desserts really need to stop people in their tracks. They don't need to be as good as everything else because there's a lot of noise in the food space. They need to be better. And so there needs to be something about your dessert that just is going to stop people in their tracks, make them take notice, because people in that space, they're going to be getting a lot of stuff from a lot of people, and you've got to ask, why does mine stand out? Uh, And I'm going to guess that her, part of the reason that she is, or part of the thing she's trying to leverage to stand out is the mental health thing, the very incongruous, and then go back to my earlier statement. So you you need something in and of the product itself that speaks to that. So there you have it.
1: All right. Well, with that, you ended right at 11 on the dot. So I guess we're getting better at this. There it is. (laughs) But if this feed added any value to your life today, be sure to share it. Um, We're always looking to grow, especially within our community, because that's pretty much how we will build this studio. Yes, indeed. Yeah.
0: So thank you guys so much for joining us. We love doing these. We don't take a single person and a single question for granted. For those of you that submit high vulnerability questions, thank you. Thank thank you you, Thank you. Absolutely amazing. We love it. The community definitely, um, A, gets to hear that they're not alone, and then B, hopefully gets an answer that's usable in their life. So thank you guys so much for that. This is a weekly show, so if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Cheers.